Well, again, good morning. We're excited you're here. And, um, wow, there, not here. But anyway, uh, we're excited to jump into 1 Corinthians 7 this morning. I, I'm, I'm really excited to get back into messy church with you and uh, jump right in together. So um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 25 to 40 is where we're going to be today. And if you remember from last week, we said that part of Paul's purpose in chapter 7 is to remind us that when we get distracted, we often can become discontent. And in that discontentment, then he says, I want you to remain where you are, to find satisfaction in Christ, no matter what your situation in life. And so he's going to cover two different situations in life that we may feel discontent. First off, he's going to mention marriage in the beginning of chapter 7, and then he's ending with what we're going to look at today, which is singleness. So we're going to kind of go a little bit in reverse, but I hope today to uh, talk to those who are single um, and really encourage you this morning with the Word of God, but also for those who are married, I think this morning could be really helpful for you as well. Um, not only for your own marriage, but also to reach out to those in our church who find themselves single right now in that phase and uh, how we can best love them. And so this morning will be a little difficult um, as far as the passage is concerned. One, in the fact that I'm talking to you uh, through a camera and not just uh, to a sanctuary full. And so that's the first weird tricky part. But the other tricky part is that chapter 7 is a uh, bit hard to translate from the original. If you look down at the bottom of your Bibles uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, you'll see that uh, there's a bunch of little footnotes there. And those footnotes are basically acknowledging the fact that this is a difficult passage for scholars to translate and get the right words. And so that's another handicap for this morning. And then I think the third one is obviously the, uh, the fact that I am not single. Um, and when we're talking about singleness, it's, you know, something that I have to go back 20 plus years to recall. And so uh, that's the other part of this is I feel like I maybe shouldn't be the one giving uh, this sermon to singles. And yet uh, this is where we find ourselves. Um, and let me say with that, just a quick note. Uh, I think oftentimes on Sunday mornings, I give a lot of application to a lot of us who are married or families and kids and but I think I sometimes neglect those who are single. And so this was a great reminder for me to say, hey, what are you speaking to those who find themselves single right now and in that phase and loving that phase or maybe discontent in that phase? And so we're going to kind of talk about that this morning. And I want to do a better job, even an application about how, how to reach all of you in, in what God's doing here through his word. And so we're going to do that together this morning as we particularly look at this idea of singleness. And so this idea of, of missing the mark possibly in churches is not just with me, but I think it's throughout churches. And I don't want singles to feel a certain way going into the sermon this morning, um, particularly in this way. There's an article I was reading called The Gift of Singleness, and it's a question mark at the end. And uh, Chris H. Smith says this, The high biblical valuation of marriage leads many evangelicals to marry earlier, contributing to the fact that singles do not always feel comfortable in our churches. Beyond simply feeling uncomfortable because they're in the minority, single people are made uncomfortable by how often pastors, leaders, and fellow church members equate marriage and children with blessing or even Christian obedience. Conversely, many look upon single people with a mixture of pity and suspicion. And so how do we address the discomfort single people feel within our churches? He says a great place to start is the Bible, and I agree. We're going to talk about what Paul looks like when he talks about singleness. And so um, as we jump in, here's kind of where we're heading for the morning. First off, we're going to look at the term uh, gift of singleness. Uh, it was mentioned in this article. I think it's a term that if you grew up in church, you may have heard that term gift of singleness. We're going to look at what that means. And then we're going to talk about the 
types of singleness uh, that we find particularly in this passage, but also in Christ and when he talked about the idea of singleness. And then we're going to go verse by verse through this passage and just kind of unpack it. And as we unpack it, we're going to look at the struggles of singleness as well as the opportunities that are in front of us uh, for those of us who are single. I say us, you who are single, uh, going through this uh, sermon this morning. And then at the end, we're just going to close with some worship and uh, just as a time to respond to what God's doing in our lives. So before we jump in, let me go and pray, and then we're going to jump right into 1 Corinthians 7 this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we get to meet, even if it's online. We, we thank you that we get to uh, hear your word, and we get to be with our families, and we get to uh, hear how you want to work in our lives. God, we pray for those in our church who find themselves in this, in, uh, that are single right now, um, and we pray that this morning this would resonate with them, uh, that this would be an encouragement to them, and God, that they would see that they are, as was mentioned, not second class at all, but God, they are probably needing to lead us who are married uh, uh, in ways uh, that we are not being led in. And so we pray this morning would just be an encouragement to all of us who hear it, and we thank you for the opportunity to dive in. In your pray, amen. All right, so let's start right off. Gift of singleness. What in the world do you mean, gift of singleness? If you grew up in the church, you may have heard this phrase. Uh, in high school, I heard this a lot. And uh, in high school, I didn't want that gift. Um, it was that gift that I was like, ah, somebody else can have that. I kind of like being in a relationship. And I wasn't. But anyway, that whole thing. And so I think some of that was just some of the immaturity of not knowing what that meant. And I think some of it was just the immaturity of my age. Um, but I tend to see this as a gift of singleness, this, this term is actually far more positive than we give it credit for. And I think it's a lot less scary than what we think it may be. And so let me just kind of unpack what I mean by gift of singleness, especially if you've never heard this term before. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7 is where we kind of get the context of this idea of a gift of singleness that Paul addresses. And he says this, I wish that all were as I myself am. And so he says, I wish all were like me. Paul was single. We don't know if he was single from uh, the time he was born until now. If he just chose to be single, we don't know if he was a widower. Some believe he was. Uh, regardless, he is single when he's writing this. And he says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So here, it's kind of an obscure passage. Like, I don't see gift of singleness there, Joel. I don't know what you're talking about. Let me, let me unpack and kind of explain. Because Paul is definitely saying something here is a gift, right? He says each has his own gift. Some want to say that he means the, the celibacy. He's, he's just talking about in seven, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Some are saying, well, that gift is the gift of celibacy, a, a, a life that is dedicated to not having sex. And, and it's this idea of saving myself. And some see it as celibacy all the way until eternity. Some say that that's what he's talking about. That's the gift that some people have. Others want to say that it's his own gift, and that is the idea of single, that it's his own unmarried status that he is about to discuss, which is in verse 8. So whatever we decide, though, uh, given what he's argued in 7, 1 through 5, we, we honestly cannot separate celibacy from singleness. So as much as one camp wants to say, well, he's talking about celibacy. No, he's talking about singleness. I would say, let's just kind of throw them all in the same pot because if you're single, celibacy is part of that mandate in a Christian life. And so let's just put them both together. And so we cannot separate celibacy from singleness. And if we can't, it is legitimate to say that Paul views unmarried celibacy as a gift. I think both are what Paul is saying here as a gift. 
And let me just be clear. It's not this idea of like a spiritual gift, right, uh, that, that is mentioned later in 1 Corinthians. But it is a gift that God has given because he's good. Not because singleness is something to be endured or singleness is this like majestic spiritual gift. No, he's saying the gift is the fact of the state that you, that you are single. Let me, let, me, let me explain it this way. Matt Chandler does a better job explaining. He says, when Paul speaks of singleness and specifically the gift of singleness, he's not saying there are these select few people who have been given the spiritual gift of contentedness and singleness. That's not what's being taught here. Rather, he is teaching that where you are in the circumstances of your life is God's gift to you. If you're married, then you've been given the gift of marriage. If you are single, you've been gifted, given the gift of of singleness. It's a gift. It's not a spiritual miraculous thing. It's just a gift that God says, I'm giving you this. This is part of your life right now, and I want you to enjoy every part of where you are, which speaks to the idea of Paul saying, remain where you are. So that, that's kind of the idea of the gift of singleness. Okay, so let's jump from there into the types of singleness, right? What does it mean when Paul starts to talk about this idea of singleness in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 25 to 26? And, and, what is he, and what are the types of this idea of being single? So you have your Bibles. Let's jump into chapter 7, um, beginning in verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person, here it is again, to remain as he is. A couple things here in this passage. First, now concerning. This is the second time he's used now concerning. He uses it in the beginning to open up the topic on marriage. He's going to use it here to open up the topic of singleness. And then he says now concerning the betrothed. And this is again part of that footnote thing, right? This is translated virgin in some. It's translated betrothed in others. I tend to think this goes more towards the idea of those who are engaged. You're going to see a lot of that conversation today. And uh, those who are waiting to be married is the idea of the betrothed. And then he says, I have no command from the Lord. That basically means not that this is just his preference and don't really take it seriously. He's just saying that God didn't really, Jesus on his time on earth did not specifically deal with what he's going to deal with in this chapter. So he says, I have no command. Jesus didn't give us a command on this. So this is my thought. This is my inspiration actually from God to you as an apostle of God. Make sense? So he's not saying that this isn't important or this is just a preference. This is kind of take it or leave it. This is important. It's just not a command that was given by Jesus. He says, But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think in the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. What is he remaining in? What, what does he mean? Here's the type of singleness that Paul has in mind and then that Jesus has in mind. And then I want to throw in one more that is kind of relevant to what a single person would be here even in today's culture even maybe in Paul's culture, but a couple of things. One, uh, those who are single are single but engaged. The idea of betrothed here. So he says there's a singleness that are single, but they've got a fiance, they're ready to get married, uh, but they are engaged. Those who are single due to a loss of a spouse, a widow or widower, right? Those who have had to endure the painful loss of losing a spouse. And let me just be clear, the gift is not in losing the spouse. Please hear me. That is a difficult, most difficult thing you could ever endure in a life, 
right, to, to lose a spouse. So that's not the gift. The gift is where you currently are in being single, okay? So it's not in losing your spouse. That's not, God's not up there just kind of like, let me just make you miserable. That, that's not it, okay? So those who may find themselves single because of a widow, and then there's those who may find themselves single because of a divorce is another category that may be there. And then those who are single, uh, as Jesus would say, for the kingdom of heaven, those who choose celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That's in Matthew 19, 12. So you've got those who are single and engaged, those who are due to a, a loss of a spouse, those who lost because of a divorce, those who are single, as Jesus would say, for the kingdom of heaven's sake, they choose to be single through their life. And then maybe there's another category we want to throw in there too. And for us today, also for Paul would have been there, um, those who choose singleness because of their same-sex attraction and have said that loving Jesus is more important than their desire to be in an inappropriate relationship. And before we start picking on that, let's also pick on those who maybe choose, hopefully, that, you know, not hopefully, that choose to remain celibate until marriage, right? They're both the same thing. Both are inappropriate. Sex before marriage and these idea of homosexual relationships, both are inappropriate. But again, they both put us into the category of being single, okay? Or they should put us into the category of being single. To which now Paul then starts to walk into some distractions that come into, into this idea of singleness, some things that may cause single, single people some problems, and also how we view our current stage or state in life. Okay, so he's going to go into singles and he's going to say this. He's going to start to lay out the case of don't just look for the here and now. Don't get caught up in what is here and now and starts messing with the idea of being single. Let's look at this. He goes into verse 27 and 28. He says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. There was a rumor going around in the Corinthian church that, if, that marriage was sinful, that you basically just couldn't contain yourself and, and, and you had to get married. And, and because of that, you were sinning. There was another uh, sect of people that thought, well, there's no marriage in heaven. And so therefore, it's a waste of time to worry about that here. And so I'm not going to be married. That's a whole other topic. But he says, you have not sinned in, in being married. She has, they have not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. <laughs> now, before you start nudging your spouse who's next to you or, or start making that weird kind of like, is that for real? Yeah, worldly troubles in my marriage. Um, those who marry will have worldly troubles. Let's kind of define what he's talking about when he talks about worldly troubles in marriage and, and not start picking on those that we love next to us. 29 to 31. This is what I mean, brothers. So he talks about worldly troubles. These are those worldly troubles. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. That is a confusing passage, right? What is he supposed to mean? I'm supposed to live as if I don't have a wife? That's weird, right? Or those who mourn as if they are not mourning? Isn't that just like putting, you know, glossing over what's actually there? And he gives a reason. For the present form of this world is passing away. You see, in, in, in this idea of when he starts to move into these distractions, before he gets there, he says, we need to realize first and foremost where we are 
and what time we are living in. For this present form of this world is passing away. Paul is looking to heaven. Paul is looking to the return of Christ. And he's setting these people up as he's talking to these singles and saying, hey, don't get caught up in all the things of this world. Don't get distracted by all the things here that you can get involved in. Because ultimately, our time here is short. Our time here is a blip on the screen. And most of our time will be spent in eternity, right? Most of our time will be spent in heaven. So don't worry about this present world that is passing away. And in the middle of this, he gives a couple things that we can often worry about and that the Corinthian church worried about that got in the way of who they were supposed to be in Christ and not just what they were supposed to be in marriage or singleness, for that matter. He says, first off, don't get, don't get all worked up about marriage. Verse 29, live as if you had none. He says, don't get worried about marriage because marriage is a temporary thing. It is an earthly thing. So don't get worried about marriage. And then he starts talking about mourning and happiness. And he says, act as if you, you weren't mourning. He has to worry about happiness because happiness, again, is going to be fleeting. When we get into eternity, happiness is going to be plentiful and eternal. And it's going to be an amazing time because everything about it will be free from sin. So don't worry about all these things of happiness on this world. He says, then don't get worried about your own economic con- conditions. He says, the idea of buying and selling goods. He says, don't worry about economic conditions. This is all passing. This is gonna, this is gonna pass. This is not gonna be uh, an eternal thing. And then he goes into worldly concerns. He says, don't worry about these things of this world, all these things that are broken here on earth, right? They're not gonna matter. And when you get into eternity, you've got all of eternity. So don't worry about the things that are here. And I think we can all agree that just this beginning, before he gets into the diversions of singleness, is highly important for us to hear right now, especially with what's going on currently right here, right now. This coronavirus has people freaking out about their own personal happiness and their own personal, can I survive? Am I going to make it? Rightfully so, right? The economic conditions, huge, huge concerns, invalid for many of us. And Paul is reminding us, don't look to this earth Look to the things of heaven. That's what's going to matter. And then he says, worldly concerns, right? We've got plenty of those right now. Don't worry about those things. Look towards heaven. This earth is passing away. He's basically telling us, married, single, economic conditions, whatever, don't base your identity or reasons for living on these things. Let me say that again. He's telling us, don't base your identities or reasons for living on married or single or the economy. Don't worry about those things. But in particular, don't worry about it in regards to married or single. He says, these things are passing away. And then he goes into these two different main struggles that come in the life of a single, okay? And he says, I want you to be free of anxieties. He goes in here into verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. I'm sorry, yeah, or betrothed is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. So you're saying those who are single, they've got a whole interest in how do I pursue God and how do I love him well in my career and in my life? And he says they're, they're, they're undivided. 
but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. In other words, marriage isn't a sin, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to God. He's saying the first anxiety that comes uh, through this thing of single versus married is married have divided loyalties. There's a covenant that you enter into in a marriage. And once you enter into that covenant, that is is for life. And he says, I want, we we then are tied to our spouse and we're tied to making them, uh, or not making them happy. (laughs) That's not the case. We're tied to leading them to Christ. We're tied to leading our children to Christ. When I come home during the end of the day, I can't just shut off. There are things that need addressed in my family and in leading them well. And I I have my, my time and my focus and my affections then become divided right? Whereas singles, they, they, they don't have all that um, unnecessary uh, distractions or divided loyalties, right? They're free, right? They don't have to check with their spouse to say, can I make this event or can I not make this event? Can we check our calendars? Can we check with, you know, they don't have to do that. There's a free and unfiltered idea of, of not being divided in their loyalties. And I think this may be just as big of an issue um, maybe a big issue with singles for this um, because you have so many relational opportunities for connection than ever before, right? So this idea of divided loyalties, yes, it's for marriage, but I think almost always, I think if we're to be honest, I think singles can, can struggle with this as well, right? That there are so many things to give my time and attention to. There's so many relationships I can be a part of. There's so many things I don't want to miss out on as a single person, right? I, I don't want to miss out on that event or that thing or that concert or that show or that job. And so you can be divided in all these different things. You have so many more job opportunities than ever. You have a wider range of options than, than even those who are married. And so the key is to remember your sole focus is that of living on mission for Christ, Don't get divided into all these different things, Paul says to married, but also to those who are single. Don't get divided by all these things, but keep your focus on Christ. So as you pursue that job, pursue it with the intention of glorifying Christ. As you go to that show or that concert, do it in a spirit of, man, I just love music and I want to enjoy Christ while being here. I want to divide, I don't want to be divided in my loyalties. So here's what I would say to you who are singles when we talk about divided loyalties. By all means, take advantage of every opportunity that's in front of you but take advantage with a gospel mindset. How can I honor God and Christ and not have divided loyalties? To those who are married, let me me challenge you as well in the divided loyalties. Don't always be looking for the approval of your spouse. Don't always be looking for the approval of your kids. He says those are divided loyalties. Christ and Christ alone is the approval that you need. And when you start searching for it in your spouse or your kids, you're gonna find out that they are a terrible, terrible God. And I mean that in all love and sincerity, but our spouses and our kids make terrible deities. They just do. They're not supposed to be God. Only Christ is God and only he deserves our loyalty and affection. So he challenged you with that. So that's the first one is divided loyalties that comes with singleness. And then Paul goes into the, the rest of the chapter and he lays out the second anxiety and probably one of the most prominent anxieties. And so let me just kind of put a caveat here. We're going to head into some territory uh, uh, of sex and sexuality next. And so you might want to just be prepared as we head into this next section. Paul is just going to lay it out for us when we get into the second anxiety for singles, which is a very, very real anxiety. 
36 to 40. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, toward those he's engaged to, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. Again, keeps reiterating that. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. The second anxiety is this one of celibacy, a life without sex, right? And this is becoming harder and harder to understand and very hard to live, I'm telling you, because I am firmly convinced that many of our sinful habits that we have formed in regard to sexual expression and experience were probably developed in our single days, right? Because that's the hardest time to deal with this, especially now because the issue is amplified now more than ever. To quote Matt Chandler, he says this, there is a pervasive lie that is so prevalent and so powerful, you can't blame anyone for buying the lie. And here's the lie. The lie is that sexual expression and sexual experience, and I personally would probably add in there sexual identity, that the sexual expression, sexual experience, sexual identity are necessary for human flourishing. Let me give you the lie again. He says the lie is this. The lie is that sexual expression and sexual experience are necessary for human flourishing. There is nothing more untrue than that statement. And yet if you were to look around and see the media and everything that's put out every single day of your life, it's easy to see that 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 lie could be real. You're like, well, everybody's saying that's real and everybody's saying that I need that in my life, so I guess that's how I operate. Paul is warning us that the passions will rise as we are single, as we live a life of celibacy. You will struggle in these areas. And he says, especially to those who are engaged. I, I use this passage a lot um, when, I, when I think through those who are, are engaged, and especially to those who are engaged and they, and they come and they want to do premarital, which is awesome. I'm glad they do. But to those who, who come in and engage and they say, when I ask them, when, when's the wedding? How long are you waiting till then? And I get nervous when some couples talk about, well, probably next year or two years from now. We just financially and all. I looked at this passage and it's a huge warning that Paul would say to them and I would say to them, if there's any way to speed that up, I would just encourage you to do it. Because in this idea of celibacy and saving ourselves till marriage, when you get engaged, it is extremely hard to remain celibate. Can, I just, can we just be honest with that? It is a very difficult thing. And, and, and many people get away with it and they, just, they, they say, well, well it, we're engaged, so it, it, it's like we're married. Or, or I'm just going to live together until we're married. It's only a couple months, not a big deal. It'll be fine. But God is clear here, and he says, you are to live a life of celibacy until marriage, and those who are engaged are at greater risk. And he says, if I would encourage you in anything, he says, curb those passions. And if you can't curb those passions, get married. <laughs> get married quickly, he says, because it's better for you to do that than to end up in a place 
where you're in so much regret for the life that you could have lived versus where you are currently. It's a, it's a warning for those um, with, who would find themselves in that engagement period. Paul is warning men and women alike, do not sin. Sexual temptation is a real struggle for those who are single, and they need the church family to come alongside them in accountability and help them navigate it. So he gives those two anxieties. Those are part of this. And, and that's kind of where he's kind of ending with this idea of divided loyalties for singles, and he talks about celibacy for singles. But let me, let me kind of close with, with one more warning and, and encouragement. And I think it, it's something that's seen, especially in this idea of celibacy and in this idea of divided attentions. Let me close with, with one that I think is kind of like, if those are the top of the iceberg, this is kind of below the surface. For singles and for married, the thing that may draw us to be divided in our loyalties and to live a non-celibate life really could be the biggest thing of loneliness, right? I think it could be assumed that loneliness was stronger in singles than in those that are married, and I don't, I don't think that's true. I think it's dealt with differently, but I truly feel like some marriages are more lonely than singles who have so many friends and connections and are living on dorms and uh, hanging out with college friends or, or those that are later in life and they have really close friends that they are accountable with and living life with. And so they, they really aren't concerned about the idea of loneliness and they're far more. And so I don't think it's, it's so much that. I think it's how they're navigated in each area. I think it's navigated differently in marrieds than it is navigated with those who are single. I feel that one is not stronger or harder than the other. They're just different in how we address it or, or fix it. So let me just give you this challenge to those who are single and maybe facing this idea of loneliness. I just feel like I'm always lonely. There's nobody around. Let me just give you this. To the single, in fixing the lonely, I would just really challenge you during this time and this season right now to guard your heart. And by that, I mean this. Don't give your heart out too quickly or to too many at once. I would say this to my girls. I would say this to, to high school students. I would say this to college students. I would say this to the 50-year-olds who are single, right? I would say the same thing. Do not give your heart out too quickly and to too many at once. When my wife and I were, were dating, uh, I, I was the insecure one, and uh, I was the first to be like, I love you, I love you, and I you can't live without you. And she was very, very I mean, she was just amazing. She just said, you know what? I think, I think the conversation went like, I love you. And it was just kind of like silence and just kind of a nod. And I'm like, well, that's, that's not what I expected. And, and it wasn't because she wasn't feeling a love for me. It was that she was saving that for the one that she'd be married. She wasn't gonna give out the words, I love you, until she knew for sure that I was the one. And so when she said, I love you for the first time, I remember it clearly. We were just about, I was just about to head back to Chicago and she was staying back here in Canton for school. And, and as I was leaving, wouldn't you know it, she pulls out the, I love you. And, and I'm like leaving to go all the way to Chicago. And I'm like, yeah, you can't do that to me right now. I'm just, ah, right? But it was such an amazing thing. And I pray that for my girls that they would not give out their heart too quickly and to too many at once just to solve the problem of loneliness. Don't give out your heart too quickly and to too many. I would say that to singles. To the married, when it comes to loneliness, let me just challenge you and, and give you this. To the married, I would say not guard your heart. That's part of it. But guard your spouse. Loneliness 
makes us do some crazy things. Asking the most dangerous question in a marriage, what if, what if there's someone else who could make me happier? What if someone else or something could solve this, this loneliness that my spouse just doesn't seem to get? And notice that I said guard your spouse and not guard your marriage. That's different, right? Guarding my spouse means I'm fighting for my wife. Then I'm fighting for the marriage. To those who are married, it's, it's very easy to seep into these sinful addictions and, and, and issues that just somehow feel like they're helping our loneliness when in reality, they're bringing us even more pain and even more loneliness. And so I'd encourage you, guard your spouse. Take time to listen, to hear to spend time together so that there isn't that loneliness that creeps into your marriage. Loneliness now is even more dangerous as we are all living our lives apart from one another. Can I just say that as well? Loneliness as a whole, single and married, is a hard part for us right now because we are also isolated right now, especially now, right? And so I would just encourage us to pursue godly, healthy relationships during this time. Remain where you are, whether it's single or married, see it as a gift of God. And no matter what, start attacking those areas of loneliness. Start guarding your heart. Start guarding your spouse so that we are not distracted, so that we're not living lives apart from Christ, so that we're not substituting something that is only Christ to fill. And so as we close this morning, I want to close with two worship songs. Um, this week is, is uh, in the Lent challenge uh, leading into this. The, the challenge was to pursue worship and so we wanted to give you a chance to respond to God this morning through singing and encourage you to sing through these next two songs. And I would encourage you to see these two songs as this true hope that whatever relationships we have here on earth, whether we're single or married, that the relationships aren't meant to solve the loneliness that we feel. Only Christ can do that. Only God can get us through these hard times. Only God can see us through these hard and inconvenient and isolated places that we find ourselves in right here and right now. And so I would call us as a church family, rally around each other. Married couples, rally around those who are single. Let them see what a godly marriage looks like. Let them see what healthy living looks like. To singles, can I encourage you, reach out to us who are married and show us what it means to live a life undivided right? Lead us. I think so often we assume that the married people are supposed to lead. No, no, no. Single people in our church, lead us well. Show us what it means to love Christ with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Show us what it looks like to do that in an undistracted way so that we could follow your lead, so that ultimately we all are finding our identity, our worth, not in married or single, but in Christ and Christ alone. As we go into these two songs, I would truly encourage you, prepare your heart, prepare your minds to meet with God. These things are going to be temporary. The things we're dealing with currently are temporary. And ultimately, God is still in charge. Be strong. Focus our minds on Him. And He will get us through. Let me pray. God, we thank you this morning for leading us. God, we thank you that no matter what our calling, whether married or single, you've called us to lead it in, in lives that are undistracted and lives that are focused solely on you. May our minds and our hearts be focused solely on your heart and your mind. And when you do the things that you would want us to do, love the things you would want us to love, be with the people you want us to be with. And so we pray, God, that as we go into these two songs, you would remind us of those things 
we would see this as an opportunity to worship our King in the midst of the hardships. You have not left us. You are here. May we worship you with all our heart and all of our minds this morning. Amen. Way over.